So we are recording this podcast in a live audience. So this is uh, Health and Physical Education, Sport and Recreation Management, 1400. And so we have about 40 students in class with us today. And their final exam take-home project is to identify uh, five what they are arguing are the top five trends right. that will impact the sport and recreation ecosystem. So it's not just high-performance sport, right. not just pro sport, right. but across the spectrum. So it could include parks, recreation, physical education, fitness, physical activity, et cetera. Yep. And so I thought, you know, you and I, first of all, we enjoy each other's company. Mm-hmm. So if nothing else, it's no, just yeah. a good excuse for us to connect and to hang get together, out. together, sure. Um, but I thought you and I could do a rift on kind of what you think are the top five yep. and what I think are the top five. And yep. when you started pressing recording, we were talking <laughs> about, um, or you probably started recording like, no, no, I did it when you, I, you've yeah, done yeah, this. No, no, you've done you, this I've caught before. you. This, you caught me this time. Yeah. Um, we were talking about the Savannah bananas and Jesse Cole yep. and this idea of, um, you know, kind of making sport fun and, and just changing the way right. that sport is right. presented to people right now is there anything else and then we and just prior to recording we also threw it out there to students to get them to throw out some examples and we'll probably interweave some of the things that were noted by students and i would also encourage you if you have any questions if you want to engage in the conversation you obviously won't be recorded necessarily but um if you want to just make a comment or you say well what about this or what do you think about this you know i'd like you to keep it clean uh, if you could, um, but you're more than welcome to try to engage in this conversation too. Right. So do you want me to riff? Do you want me to go off on? Well, tell you what, why don't you, why don't you pick your, pick well, your one uh, and then we'll go back and forth. You want to yeah, do it that Sports way? is fun. Yeah. Okay. And Let's I think that. that, you know, where we started with the Savannah bananas, I think one of the things that we're beginning to see is, is kind of, I think the pendulum swinging back, um, in this social media world, I think when you look at the last 20 years, it's certainly been dominated by the rise of social media, the influence of social media, um, what that instant gratification means. And, and I think when you look at sport, particularly sport, not so much recreation, it's how we are consuming uh, sports, second screens, um, you know, my background's in sports radio. You don't really need sports talk radio the way you used to 20 years ago because you can have that instant conversation in a social environment. But I think the one thing we're beginning to see is that there is a, a desire out there to have some fun again. I think we, we've taken the fun out of sport. We've taken the fun out of sport for kids. We've taken the fun out of sport at the professional level. I think if you're a diehard fan of a team, let's say the Pittsburgh Steelers, um, <laughs> It's not the same joy that you used to have once. It, it, it always seems to be more about the business, more about the future, and less about the here and now, and less about the moment and enjoying the moment. And I think the Savannah Bananas have proven that people want to lose themselves hmm. in the entertainment of sport. And I think by saying sports is fun, I think you do have to, we have to get back to it at the grassroots level. Or, you know, another one of my topics and I won't go there right now is recruitment and retention but if it's not fun why would anybody do it uh we need to put fun back in sport and I really truly believe that that's one of the things we see in the next decade led by the Savannah Bananas who said you know what baseball's too long so we're going to play two hours don't like this rule so we're going to change it and we're going to make it about the fans so much so that they've left the coastal league mm-hmm. and they're no longer a, a you know wood bat team that plays a 46 game schedule they're now a touring force like the harlem globetrotters um but what's fascinating in that part of it for me is the lineup of major league baseball teams who want right. to bring right. them into their ballparks when they're on the road 
right? So they're somewhat self-admitting, we're not fun. We need you to bring the fun to us. So I think in the next 10 years, there's a lot, you know, the NFL is going to have to go through this revolution. I think the, the NBA, I think the NBA is a lot closer than the other sports. I think the NHL, uh, all of these leagues have to find a way to put some fun back in and take a little of that tension. That's, there always seems to be tension out there. My team won, but, um, you know, we didn't win good enough. We didn't win by enough. And this guy isn't doing this. There needs to be a return to this is fun. I want to be a fan. Well, and I suspect that connects to... So we had, we had Matt Stone from Stone Olufsen here a couple of weeks ago talking about um, the, the research and the evidence insofar as people returning to live, yeah. live experience economy. Yeah. And the numbers seem to be down. I, you know, CFL would be one example of that, where the numbers you know, have not come back to pre-pandemic levels. Correct. Um, I don't know exactly where the NHL would be, um, but my suspicion, the NHL might be a bit of a bubble and might be a bit isolated and still be getting people to come back. But I don't, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure about that. I think the NHL struggled in the playoffs last year, particularly the Canadian teams uh, were not automatic sellouts. So that's the bar we're talking right. about. There's, they still had good crowds, but they weren't automatic sellouts. But you think about, you know, the Wranglers. So in, in a Calgary context, yeah. the Wranglers, uh, you know, I think are, are certainly not selling as many tickets as they would have liked. Right. Um, the Hitmen now playing out at Sutina. I don't know what well, the numbers are there. They're only playing six games out there. Okay. So they're still in the Dome. So there's probably a split there. So in all of those instances, I'm not sure people are coming back in the same way that they were pre-pandemic. And so I, I would suspect, and that's, that's just at the professional sport level. I would, I would guess that it's the same thing in many regards. There's probably a few isolated examples. Golf, I think, is one as a recreational activity where the numbers actually yeah. increased and whether or not they can maintain that. But in all these instances, I do think that this idea of trying to make things enjoyable mm-hmm. and fun again is at a premium. And, and we've lost that. And even you think about hiking, for crying out loud. Right. You know, like going out to the mountains and trying to go you know, backcountry, like, like the, the pressure yeah. on making sure that you've got the right clothes yeah. um, and that your jacket is the right brand and that your boots are the right style. It, like, it, it seems to be that... Where are you hiking? <laughs> like. But just, it just seems to me that everything is so serious now. Yeah, um, oh, no, no, and so yeah, 100%, professional, 100%. and you can't like just just that. Hundred percent, you can't let your hair down. You know the the joy yeah. about kids going out and just playing street hockey. And right. uh, this is making me sound really old, no. but you don't see that anymore. It has to be at an academy. It yep. has to be yep. organized. It has to be regimented. It has to have a certain level of professionalism. It's it's a it's a damning testimony actually to our society because there is no data that defends early specialization. There's no data that defends. Um, uh, year-round training for youth or academies. or There's nothing. There's nothing other than keeping up with the Joneses. Right. Uh, Tom Ferry uh, from the Aspen Institute. Have you yeah. talked about the Aspen Institute? Or, I have or, not, you? yeah. So the Aspen Institute's a kind of a, a think tank for youth sports in North America. Tom Ferry's kind of the face of it. He's a former ESPN uh, writer, award-winning writer, and, and he's kind of the head of it. And he has a really good line that he shares at conferences. The North American youth sports system is set up for... The parents. It's run by the parents. It's for the parents. It's not for kids. Uh, ask yourself why Norway set a record for most medals at a Winter Olympics, a country that's way smaller than this one, certainly smaller than the United States. Um, they have taken all the bad things in North American sport, banned them, and, and, and basically have told kids, here's free play. We, we've eliminated free play. And street hockey is what you're talking about. Uh, you know, I grew up uh, in Edmonton. Uh, I 
played street hockey all the time, so much so that one time we fired a ball, tennis ball over a house, and we went and got it, and there was Joey Moss and Wayne Gretzky, and the greatest player in, in the history of hockey said, hey, can we come play with you? And he played street hockey with us for three hours. Like, that has an impact. Those kind of experiences have an impact. But when you take away free play, when you say the only way we can do this is in a controlled environment, then you, that experiential, you just can't have those mm-hmm. moments, right? We need those moments of wow and wonder again. And I would say one of the, one of the things that the pandemic did, I, I, I would argue and push back against my peer class in one thing. I think the one thing that the pandemic did was make us sit at home, look at our family, and go, is this it? Um, I can speak a little bit with authority about Hockey Calgary. When they came out of the pandemic, their dip in registration was mostly, mostly due to families going, do you know we can snowboard? Do you know we can ski? You know, we can go out there. And, you know, you don't have a coach saying, oh, Johnny can't miss this practice. He'll let the whole team down. Mm -hmm. Like, we're, we have all of these institutions mm-hmm. that have limited fun and have, you know, and now we're saying, well, nobody's coming to the game. Well, they're not coming to the game because we keep, the institution keeps telling them, well, you've got to do this, 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 right. and this, and this, and this to come. So if nothing else, the pandemic gave us a bit of a pause to get out of the, we just did things because right. we just do them over right. and over and over because again. Because we've always done them. Mm-hmm. We've always done them that way, Right. Well, and I think about some of the things that you were involved with, yeah. you know, with the Calgary Hitmen in particular, yeah. and some of the events like the wrestling one. Right. Um, well, even the Teddy Pertoss, which I know kind of... Pre, pre, yeah, yeah, predates me. Yeah. Predates you. Um, People the, like the, to throw things, Dave. They like <laughs> to throw things. But those are, those are I, not like, well, I guess they are iconic. Um, they're noteworthy. Yeah. They're, you put them in your calendar. Right. You schedule around them. Right. Um, those are things that, you know, you calendarize and you want to participate in. And I think sport and recreation is going to need to do a better job of that. But they're going to have to prioritize that, and they're going to have to invest in that. And to this date, I think that's the biggest challenge is getting traditional thinking to change and meet the times. Um, I'll go back to Jesse Cole and the Savannah Bananas. You want to have some fun, because I was on a phone call in which the Western Hockey League brought Jesse Cole on to talk about what he's doing down there. So he had all these operators and all these business people from across the Western Hockey League. You want to have some fun. Watch that Zoom call when he says our tickets are $20. That's parking. That's admission. That's food. That's beer. That's everything included. All in. You, you want to see expressions? Like people were screwed up on that call. Like how the hell do you make money at that? But they do. But they do. And on that call, he said their cost per ticket is $4. So $16 profit on a $20 ticket. Hmm. But there's not enough people that process that. They, they keep asking why. They, the Savannah Bananas, you want to know where the secret sauce is? Merch. Seven figures a month online in their merch. Seven figures. But again, they jump to curb. Again, and I use this all the time. This is my new thing. You know my role over there. I'm a disruptor. Hmm. You need disruptors. And you need people to come in and go, why do we do it that way? Well, we've always done it that way. That isn't good enough. Mm-hmm. You know, why aren't we doing it this way? That doesn't mean you're right about everything, but you, you brought up the wrestling. When we pushed on that one, they said, well, what do you want to do? Well, we want to do some wrestling after the, after the game. And they said, well, so everybody what, go up the concourse to the ring? No, we'll put a ring on the ice. What do you mean you put a ring on the ice? How can you put a ring on the ice? We'll put a ring on the ice. And you could just see, like, people's heads exploding when you're bringing this up in a, in a building meeting because, well, how can you do that? Like, what do you mean put it on the ice? I mean, we'll build it 
on the ice. And we did. And we proved that it could be done. And we proved that it could be done in 25 minutes. And we proved all of those sort of things. But it's that you know, it's that disrupting, it's that taking of the systems and, and breaking them. And right now, sport, and I'd say recreation, mm-hmm. is, is going through the same thing. Uh, you look at Peloton, and yeah. was there a bigger winner in the prime of COVID, the prime months of COVID, those are, was there a bigger winner in sport and recreation than Peloton? They owned the market, right? And now what, right? Yeah. You got to disrupt the marketplace. Yeah. Well, it- and I think golf's another example of that, right? So the – oh, and the name of them is eluding me, but there's two that were just built recently where it's basically a bar and a golf course. Oh, uh, yeah, I know exactly. Uh, the to- uh, top uh, Shot. I, I want to say Top Golf, but I think that's the brand name in the what? States. I don't know if it's still called that in Canada. But anyways, yeah, you, yeah, you, yeah. you know what I'm talking yep. about. Um, Launchpad, that's the That's the Launchpad's here, but there's a chain of them down in Vegas and Dallas – and I, 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 I want to say it's Top Golf. I think it's Top Golf in the States, but I think Launchpad is the brand Absolutely. name here in Canada. And that, to me, would be an example of it, too. And so could you do that in other, in other avenues? Can you create family-style opportunities to engage with your partner, your kids, your friends, to participate in sport? And so, for instance, like a batting cage. Like I'm thinking that that could be a next entrepreneurial opportunity right. from a baseball perspective right. that perhaps hasn't well, it's taken off. Pickleball. It is pickleball. Yeah. It's pickleball. Yeah. Right? Pickle, pickleball was a sport that, for all intents and purposes, was invented, invented for old people to play on cruise ships. Really. It was small. It was easy to do. Just go out and do it. And so you even think, you know, from a, from a campus recreation perspective, like, what could we do differently within our own fitness center? Well, and I think, th- so the, the climbing center did the dark climbing. Uh, Neon climbing? Xavier. That was, was that? Uh, Glow-in-the-dark climbing. That's what it was. So that, to me, is a perfect example of where you're taking a traditional activity, but you're changing it up a little bit, and you're allowing it to be fun. Right. And and now, listen, now students can kind of smirk and laugh at me, but I'm actually trying to do that even within our own class. (laughs) You know, by playing music at the start of class, and again, you're, you're, you're rolling your eyes like, seriously, that's as good as it gets? That's the best you can do to try and make class fun? I'm trying. (laughs) <laughs> I am trying. Um, doing this podcast in front of you as opposed to a traditional lecture. Like there are, I, I think there's efforts and attempts because your attention spans are such that there's lots of options out there for mm. you. You can, you can choose to spend your time in a variety of ways. And I think it behooves all of us in whatever industry we are to try to differentiate ourselves and to encourage people to want to come to your quote unquote store. Right. Right. Okay. So we've, yeah, we better get going here if we're going to get through all 10 of us. The one that I want to talk about is technology. Yeah. Um, And I see this one in having a pervasive influence on every aspect of sport and recreation. And technology is a difficult one to try to capture and to try to wrap your hands around because it's so pervasive. Mm -hmm. And so I started thinking about augmented reality, mm-hmm. virtual reality. Mm-hmm. So the opportunity, for instance, in the Paris Olympic Games to run the marathon with your Google Glasses, whereby you're running the marathon on your treadmill, but you're running it against the Olympic runners. Right. And so, you know, you're taking off at the start line and you're watching everyone just go in front of you. But to get that idea and that concept of I ran the same route as the Olympians did in real time right. against them, Person to person. Right. And to me, the opportunities that a virtual reality uh, context can provide 
is mind-numbing. Mm-hmm. And I think it further then moves away from these traditional sports. And so if you know, I can choose what I'm going to do on Saturday night, I can either watch the Flames play against the Winnipeg Jets, or maybe there's an actual way for me to participate right. in a game right. that's virtual or augmented where I'm sitting on the bench and I'm somehow playing. Like, I, I, I think if those opportunities are presented to you, the traditional means by which to show a sporting event is going to continue to evaporate. And that's just one example. We had a gentleman who's the president of the Alberta Esport Association here a couple of weeks ago talking about esport. Yep. Now, admittedly, and, and perhaps this is a reflection of my age and stage in life, mm-hmm. I don't really get it. I don't, I don't fully understand or appreciate why you would But we've want... been talking about it on this podcast for a long time. Oh, yeah. Right? But this generation that I'm talking to... I think they get it. Sure they do. And, you know, for us to meet them where they are, we're going to have to adapt. And so we even talked about it from a campus recreation perspective. I mean, it would have been unheard of to have considered creating an e-sport team, team yeah. an e-sport facility. Yeah. But these are all real conversations yep. that are taking place right now. And this idea of, of technology and influencing, it can go in all kinds of different directions. Gambling. And I know you and I have talked about gambling um, in previous podcasts and having a pervasive impact on sport and recreation. But the proliferation of opportunities and how technology can let you bet now on just any and everything that takes place in any context changes the way that you watch and participate in a game. Micro gambling now. Yeah. You can bet on a pitch. What what kind of pitch is going to be? Next face-off. Who's winning that face-off? Um, like, yeah, so that continues. So that to me is something else that I would encourage my students to continually pay attention to is this influence of technology as it relates to how you actually are, are participant, whether it's in a physical sense, you actually are participating or it's in as a, as a fan itself. We have some students that take ecotourism and outdoor leadership. And you think about, again, this idea of a virtual reality and an augmented reality or the, the concept of an avatar. Mm-hmm. Do national parks see a decline? in people coming to their spaces. And I'm seeing some shaking heads out there. And I'm not necessarily advocating that that's the right thing to do or that it, may, that it will happen, but it could happen. And so if it becomes more and more difficult to get to the Jaspers of the world, yeah. the Banffs, the yeah. Lake Louises of yeah, the world, yeah, the yeah. Moraine Lakes, and it's increasingly difficult to do that, will people choose a virtual mean by which to do that? Well, they have the op- option of choosing. If you take a sensitive ecosystem that is now in danger of being eroded or trampled on or pressured beyond its use, does the federal government say we are now cutting off that area and the only way you can view it, the only mm. way you can participate in it? And I would think, uh, immediately I think of volcanoes. Uh, you go to Hawaii, the big island, you can go see the volcano. Well, if the volcano gets active, you don't really want right. people around there. Is technology then going to be, uh, you know, or here's one in our own backyard. I mean, we have one of the biggest national parks in the entire world in our province, and I would guess there might be one person that's ever foot, uh, stepped foot in Wood Buffalo National Park. Anybody? Anybody? <laughs> right? Can't get there. But I'm here to tell you, it's an amazing place. It's an incredible place, but it's cut off from the world. Right. Is it a place that technology can open up for people to go see? Yeah, well, so I hiked the Inca Trail um, to Machu Picchu in the late, in the mid-1990s. Right. Um, and it's, they have shut it down. Well, Uluru, uh, Ayers Rock, 
in <laughs> Australia. Sure. So you used to be able to hike up to the top of Uru, and they no longer yeah. that's no longer that's right. allowed. And so you know opportunities like that going to the Antarctica. Um, yep. For people, I mean, it's such a small minority of individuals who will ever get a chance to do something like that. Does this now open up ideas of ecotourism, mm-hmm. uh, travel, et cetera, because of that, that piece of it? A couple other things with technology I just want to talk about. Sure. The, uh, cryptocurrency and blockchain technology. Yeah, how's that, how's that going for everybody today? <laughs> everybody, how's your Bitcoin doing? How's your do- doge, hey? Yeah, I know. Okay, well, g- give it time. Give it time. Um, it's coming back. Yeah. But the, the whole concept of being able to use currency in an electronic form, what I start wondering about is the potential impact of things such as investing in individuals. And so this is going to go against what I'm suggesting earlier with the trend towards making things more fun. But as things like academies continue to be... Yep seriously yep. pursued, yep. you know, parents putting kids into, you know, they're going to be the next Lionel Messi yep. when they're five. And does that then give you an opportunity using crypto and these sort of things to invest directly? And so instead of having, you know, a GoFundMe page, can, are, are people now going to start having futures whereby, you know, LeBron, LeBron James's son, you know, can you invest in him directly? Oh, that's probably not example, not a good example because LeBron himself can, can pick, pay for these things but imagine yeah. you know these these burgeoning athletes looking for opportunities to continue to train to continue to progress and they throw it out there and say i'm going to be the next lionel messi you invest with me now it's a futures um you're investing and you become a part owner in my future i think nil and in american college athlete uh, name image likeness has already begun us down that path yeah. i think if you talk to uh john o'sullivan the uh, co-creator the uh, owner of, or uh, the uh, guy behind uh, the you can play project in the states which is about giving youth sports back to kids and one of the things that he talked about a decade ago was the american parent who was taking out and borrowing loans against his house um, to put his kid into high-performance travel sport and hire coaches and then making that child sign an agreement that if they ever got to a certain level that they'd repay the parent. So that that's already exists in our culture, okay? Um, there's a basketball league, which I believe LeBron's an investor and ESPN's an investor for high school players in the States that pays them a salary of $100,000 plus a year and puts games on ESPN. We're in that marketplace right now, already, now. where you can... Uh, exactly do what you say. Um, We're going to put my child up for bid. Here's his numbers. Here's his data. Here's his beep test at eight (laughs) years old. Here's his beep test at nine years old. He just went and had Tommy John, not because he was injured, but if we got Tommy John, that'll, that'll solidify his elbow. So we know (laughs) he can pitch to 110 miles an hour. Let's start the bidding. That's, that is absolutely a reality that makes me sick to my stomach, but absolute a reality that we are going to live within the next 10 years. So the last piece of technology, because yep. I don't want to hog all the spotlight on technology, yep. is as it relates to health. And so the idea of wearable, wearable tech. Yep. Um, and that can be both on your iPhones, your watches, even in your clothing. So the various sensors within clothing now will allow you to know biomechanically how mm-hmm. you're moving what you should be doing from an optimal, suboptimal perspective, how fast. I mean, people are, are tracking their, their step counts, right? Um, but you, th- you put that on steroids insofar as constantly being monitored and people trying to optimize 
their behavior and how long they sleep and how they sleep and what they eat and when they eat. And I see that just accelerating insofar as a trend and it just impacting not just the high-performance athletes, but everybody, because this technology will be available to anyone and everyone, and relatively cheaply, I would guess. Yep. And people will be focusing and concentrating constantly on how to, you know, when is the best time to eat that vegetable? How many of those vegetables should sure. I eat? Um, and I think it might get to a point where then there's pushback, and people fight back against that constant monitoring. Well, and, and again, I, I feel like I'm a broken record in this. At the uh, CCM show, or the hockey show, I should say, CCM uh, just brought forth some technology that was made in Calgary uh, that'll be consumer, and you'll be able to buy it next year, Canadian Tire, Sport Check, and Adrenaline. But it's, it, it'll be equipment that has chips in it that you can monitor your child's data. You'll be, able to watch, you'll be able to have a phone. Your little Johnny will be out there on the ice, and you'll be able to collect data based on the equipment that he's got. So, uh, again, we're there. Where I look at it is from the health standpoint. I don't like that, um, but having just put a parent through an uh, uh, artery replacement at, at, uh, at uh, University of Calgary and then finding out two weeks later that in recovery she had a, a minor stroke, hmm. I am in favor of anything that we can do to help our aging population identify quickly um, health risks and health issues. So technology can be a boost there. I mm-hmm. think it can help us live longer. I think it can help us, um, you know, I think the science of sport, you know, again, anybody here watch Rocky Four, you know, and there's Drago and they're sticking needles in him and, you know, he's pounding. And it's that, that we're living that right now. We're living that. Um, but it's, yeah, it's only going to become, my worry is that, you know, we go from, well, we want to get your time faster in, you know, in the mile to I want to get your time faster in 100 meters. I need to get your time faster in 40. I want to get your time faster in one meter. I want yeah. to make you yeah. – at what point does it become too much? But, again, all of what we will talk about is driven by one thing, profit. And if somebody can profit from it, if somebody will purchase it, it will go forward. And you talked about virtual reality and augmented reality. I'm a, I'm a son of an owner of an original arcade, Pac-Man, Space Invaders, Galaga, all that stuff. I've seen VR come and I've seen VR go. It's been around for 40 years. And it's kind of like the Internet. Nobody ever really figured out exactly how to uh, harness it because they couldn't monetize it. But once they monetize augmented reality, which I think they have, mm. you're watching those board signs when you're watching hockey games right, right, right. now. That's augmented reality. Makes it better, doesn't it? Your games are so much better because you have those moving <laughs> ads on your hockey games. It's not for you. It's for the advertisers, right? It always will be for the advertisers. You build a new building here. You better put some extra space that is just wide open so that I can bring in some headsets and you guys can play on the pitch at Qatar in the World Cup against another school from Britain. Uh, and, you know, you never move any further than this play. But those are the places we got to go if we can monetize it. Okay. Yep. Back to you. Sports gambling. Uh, one of the first shows we did in 2018 was about two vices. At that time, we referred to them as vices. Cannabis was legalized, <laughs> and sports gambling was legalized in the United States. Cannabis has not really gone anywhere in the sports and recreation world mm. as we thought it could. Mm-hmm. Uh, mostly leagues are reluctant. Major League Baseball just went into a deal, uh, I think, for the first time with a cannabis product. But for the most part, the cannabis money has been there for sponsorship and 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 team sports and leagues have tended to be arm's length. That's not the case with sports gambling. Um, 
they can't get enough. Uh, you know, sport. There's so much money right now to be had uh, in two areas in sponsorship. One is in sports gambling. The other was in crypto. We'll see how that goes. But what's really interesting for me is the lessons that we're learning in Australia and England who went down this path about five years earlier. And this past year, the English premiership said, we're done. No more sports gambling. And that was because they felt that the government was going to come in and take it and, and shut it down, the advertising of it. Because not unlike smoking, when we were kids, there was ads for smoking and it led to young people smoking. Right. In England, in Australia... They have seen problem gambling with underage people. If you are listening right now to ads, especially on podcasts, what are they telling you about? They're always telling you about if you have a problem, (laughs) reach out. If you need, we have, they're advertising. We can put limits. We can do all these. They're doing all of these things because they're trying to save the golden goose right now. Because one of the things we, we, the vices always tend to lead to underage. And, you know, you have the CHL that has a gambling website as a sponsor, but you can't bet on CHL games. Am I sorry? Is that okay? I, I guess we've got major junior beer sponsors, but the kids can't drink beer. You know, as a society, we have to make an agreement on that. But sports gambling is huge. It's big. It's a money. Gen- it's just a money machine right now. But they're already aware in North America that there's there could be difficult times to come. And they're trying to head it off. So I'm very curious in the next decade if sport gambling remains the panacea for teams and sponsorship that it is today and what it looks like. It will be only a handful of companies. It only Mm. will be a handful of companies. They just issued, I believe it was 23 licenses in Ontario to 23 different companies. They suspect within a year it'll be down to six, maybe even three companies. It's just going to, you know, that's how the industry will work. Right. But I'm very curious to see what it looks like a decade from now. Similar to what happened with cannabis. When it was legalized, there was this proliferation of companies and it's and they already all, retracted. Yeah, that's right. 100%. Yep. The gambling one is interesting because I can see it expanding in a negative way outside of, of, of sport itself. And so as it becomes more accepted... And it, yeah. and it kind of creeps into our public discourse and kind of what's accepted insofar as kind of daily conversation. I can see it proliferating into, you know, how many times is, you know, leg going to say the word networking yeah. <laughs> in class. Yep. And, and if that happens, then it opens up the opportunity for people to profit. Right. From it. Right. And what I'm surprised, actually, is that we haven't had the conversation about, uh, with now legalized betting in a, in a Canadian context, the possibility of there being shaving, um, athletes being asked to tank, uh, to impact, you know, lines. You know, uh, it's funny. I, I know exactly what you're talking about. There was the, the old, you know, and we've seen that worldwide in soccer. There was some football controversies in that. The f- where it's showing itself is the online bullying of athletes in fantasy. Mm-hmm. Um, that has become somewhat of an issue. Death threats against the receiver who, who doesn't make a catch right. at a certain time in a game and things like that. So it's not the old movie type of, you know, the leg breaker's going to come in and, you know, we got your mom <laughs> hidden in a room. If you don't miss that last shot, we'll break her leg. Yeah. It's more that, you know, it's just, you know, you, you literally had to have the, uh, the, the authorities step in on, on people harassing people over fantasy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, again, comes back to society again, right? Well, and it, it, it gets to our very first topic that we talked about, yeah. about trying to make sport fun again. Yeah. 
it, like the seriousness of it. Like you're not watching. And I have to admit, I'm not a huge fantasy fan in part because I just like watching football. Um, I love watching the game and try to appreciate the game and not worrying about, oh, that running back didn't get the five-yard carry that I needed him to get. And, but I have friends that that's, that's why they love it and why they watch it is because that's how they connect with the sport. Yep. But they take it so seriously. Yep. And it's not enjoyable for them. It's not relaxing for it's them. It's an addiction. It, yeah, and, and, and I think it's because there's money on the line. That's right. And so I think it then turns back to the importance of providing opportunities right. that are fun and enjoyable and relaxing as right. opposed to this seriousness and this hyper-focused, you know, have to be perfect and do well at everything all the time narrative that we've, that we've created. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, my turn? Yeah. Okay. Uh, diversity, mm-hmm. I would say, is going to be a trend that will impact the sport and recreation and leisure and physical education ecosystem for decades to come. And yeah. we could probably go down this path in all kinds of different directions, but I think the one that I want to start with is gender. Yep. Um, and so you can look at the impact of gender and gender fluidity on having all kinds of uh, impacts on the ecosystem. And so things like ESPNW coming to probably Canada in a, in a short time, the, the uh, potentially a WNBA team coming to Toronto, the idea that people are watching women's sport as much, if not more than men's sport, the idea of sponsor dollars moving from men's to women's sport. I think that's going to continue to be a trend. I wouldn't say that I've noticed it in a Calgary context yet. Um, but I could foresee that. So as the, at the moment, anyways, I don't know of any professional sport uh, franchises or contexts within a Calgary context that's women only, um, but I don't think it's going to be long in coming. Well, there's the, there's the soccer team that plays uh, uh, the level down uh, from the NWA. Uh, anyway, they, they went to the finals this year, the uh, Foothills team. Um, there is a one of the uh, professional women's hockey player association teams is oh that's right is so, centered that's right. out of Calgary that's right. yeah. at, at Winsport yeah um, well and, and you know even at a at a collegiate level and so the University of Alberta I knew was doing this I think before many other post secondaries were but the idea of flip flopping even the times of games so if it's yeah. You know, the, the basketball, and they have men's and women's teams. It would typically and traditionally be the women's team play first, the men's team play second. Right, right. And the University of Alberta, I think, again, was one of the, the earliest to think about flipping those on a kind of a weekly basis. Right. And now I'm finding most post-secondaries are doing that. And they're doing it and not seeing a drop in attendance that they anticipated would have happened had they done it. But, that, but that, see, that, and I'm glad you brought that up. That is a good uh, example of the in... Um, kind of the institutional biases that we have to break down. And so if I'm looking at that particular topic, I would say the next 10 years is about breaking down those biases. Well, the women have to play first. Why? Well, they don't draw like the men. Why? Well, the men draw more. Why? Because the men draw more. Why? Because the men draw more. It's, it's, no. it's all of these things that we're waking up to as a society that we continually perpetuate that, you know, this won't work or they won't work or it won't work or they can't or won't or what. All And when you... You know, when you grab that thread and you pull that thread, you realize there's nothing at the end, yeah. right? It's it's all hope. It's all made up. And so the next 10 years is about um, having, I think, viable women's professional sports leagues that are supported. And that's critical. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I look at the, you know, at the, uh, uh, the uh, C, was it the CWHL yeah. uh, with the Inferno? Um, that was never going to work. You can't take 
six teams spread them across North America, play on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. and expect everybody to, you know, it would just, there were so many anchors tied to it. They never had a fair chance, you know. Here, have, let's have a boxing match, but you have to fight with one arm <laughs> tied behind your back. Right. That's how it's going to be. Right. We have to get to a place where uh, women's sports and non-traditional sports are given the opportunity. And I, and I would say to that end, you know, even if you look at grassroots, one of the things that, you know, I'm a big proponent of right now is I think for new Canadians, for instance, you know, the planes would come, they'd land, Ukrainians, Syrians, Afghans, doesn't matter. They get off the planes. Welcome to Canada. Let's play hockey. Come on, let's play hockey. Let's play hockey. Let's go play hockey. Um, and I think we're waking up to the realization that, you know, institutions like Kids Sport and the Sports Bank, we've got to have cricket in, we've got to have cricket stuff ready. We've got to have soccer balls ready. We've got to meet them where they are. We've got to have hockey teams go out and play cricket, you know, welcome to Canada, make them feel comfortable. But we've always done that thing of you come from somewhere else and you're comfortable with that. Well, now we're going to put you on this big frozen lake. And I'm not being facetious here. We've had people, especially uh, refugees from African nations, that have been introduced to hockey and sit there and and just won't go anywhere near the ice because they think it's a frozen lake and they'll break (laughs) through and they'll fall. No, I'm not being funny. We Heroes had that problem in Toronto. And they don't know. Why would they know any different, right? Mm -hmm. But welcome, you're playing land. Let's go play hockey. We've got to meet people where they are, and we've got to be diverse. And we need, you know, really true, you know, integration of sport and inclusion in sport will be uh, Calgary Hitman soccer team, uh, Calgary Roughnecks uh, uh, cricket team. Um, you know, multi-sport is important, but I think we can't be just forcing people into the sports that we've deemed important. And, and I think that goes for gender. I yeah. think that goes for society. I think that goes for new Canadians. Um, and, and certainly at the pros, the next 10 years is about eliminating those institutional biases that are there. Agreed. Okay, we have five minutes left. Five minutes. Yeah. yeah. And so give me, your, give me your next three quickly, and then I'm going to give my last three, just so the students walk sure. away with um, 10 total. Well, I think mine kind of builds off yours a little bit because I, uh, I think diversity, equity, and inclusion – uh, can't be a box check anymore. It can't be something, oh, well, we took this course, look at us. I think we have to, that has to now become ingrained, and we have to make sure and, 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 and push that forward. I think um, the other one is fractured advertising, fractured sponsorship. Um, an exercise that I'll ask anybody in this, off, or in this room to run in your head is, if you have an event tomorrow with 10,000 tickets to sell, how are you promoting it? Where are you advertising it? <laughs> mm-hmm. Because 10 years ago, 15 years ago, I would have just bought the front page of the newspaper and bought all the ads on a radio station. That doesn't work anymore. How do we get the biggest impact for our promotional budgets, which some of you, that's going to be where you end up in life, is you're going to be on the promotional side of things. And social media has has certainly created new opportunities, but it's also leveled the playing field. So if you have to do something... Like that, yeah. where are you going? And I guess my last one would be, uh, and I mentioned it before, is recruitment and retention. We do not have kids participating in sport uh, at the rates we need. We do not have um, the secondary auxiliary. You know, I said before, uh, I was never a good athlete, but I love sports, so I got in the broadcast side. That's how I found my way in sport. How do we make sure that sport meets the needs of everybody how does it look like everybody um you know we pat ourselves on the back when we take uh, a a woman and or a visible minority and put them in a broadcast position at the highest level look at what we did 
why are, that that's not what we need we need them at in the we need them in the system we need to be putting them in the system we need we need voices of, of Mount Royal sport to be diverse and, and look like the, the, you know, look like the community here at the school. Yeah. And, you know, over the next 10 years, we really need to do that with coaching. We need to do that with officiating. We need to do that with volunteering. We really need to take DEI and, and make sure that it's not just something that we talk about at our AGMs and check a box yeah. and get a grant for, but it's something that we truly believe and are prepared to, again, as I just said, you got to do some work because, you know, be real easy if we grabbed everybody again as they got off the plane and said, okay, you're going to play this sport. That's not how you make them comfortable. No. So that, th- those are the ones that are big for me. Okay. Uh, the last three that I yeah. have, uh, first one is the, uh, the baby boom uh, coming through uh, to retirement right now. Yeah. So the baby boomers, um, the biggest segment of our population, although Calgary is a bit of an anomaly in that mm. we tend to skew a bit younger. Yeah. But – nationally, the baby boom population is the biggest segment of our population. They are just hitting retirement age right now. Right. And so like many things, because of their strength and numbers and financial power, they're going to dictate how things run. And so things like pickleball. Yep. And so the transition from tennis to pickleball courts, the proliferation of golfing and whether or not it continues to be 18 holes or whether they move to 12-hole model, again, yep. to accommodate older adults, accessibility of things, uh, transitions of shopping malls into recreation facilities as opposed to places to actually go shopping. Yep. Um, I can see that happening because of the older adult driving this change and their economic power. So that would be my third one. Uh, The fourth one would be just globalization. And so the NFL played a game in Munich um, on Sunday. There's talk about having franchises uh, in Europe, just as easily as you would in North America. This idea of people following. So I lived in Australia for a year, and I follow my Aussie Rules football team from mm-hmm. St. Kilda you know, online. And so the technology has allowed people to follow and engage in sports and activities that are outside of their, of their confines. And yeah. so this idea of the global marketplace, which then transitions to how do you connect with fans? How do you connect with people? You look at just the number of sport owners that own teams in the English Premier League and in North American context and in China, et cetera, et cetera. So this idea of being a global player as opposed to just a regional one. Mm-hmm. And then the last one is this focus on grassroots sport. And so uh, Canadian sport policy, which is just out for renewal right now, yep. is noteworthy by their focus on wanting to address grassroots sport as opposed to high-performance sport. Yep. And I think federal governments and provincial government too, they just came out with their mandate letters from the new premier, and they are focusing on the importance and value of grassroots sport yep. as opposed to a high-performance one. And I think that will continue to happen. And then what does that mean for for Olympic, Paralympic, Canada Games, et cetera, or is the focus going to be on mass participation? I think, yeah, I, I, you know, and I think we never even talked about Hockey Canada in here. Hockey Canada and what's going on at the uh, p- political level is going to reverberate through the next decade. But Hockey Canada is a proxy for all the other sports, gymnastics, basketball, soccer, Rowing, uh, you know, yeah, exactly. Hockey will be the one that brings in the institutional change. And, and I think because so much of it has been the focus of their high level teams, Mm -hmm. that there is a bad taste in people's mouth. And, and, and listen, high, uh, high level sport. I talk about revenue generation. That's where the money is, is high level sport. And it'll always be there. 
but the government focus, the provincial focus, the civic focus, our focus needs to be on recruitment and retention of athletes, particularly female athletes, particularly keeping them in the game. The pyramid has always been there. We start young, we get to just preteen, and then we get to teenagers and they're out. And the numbers are staggering when yeah. you look at at the participation numbers. Well, and just, you know, from a physical education perspective, I think grade 10 is the last year it's required. And that just at the age and stage, particularly for young girls, Absolutely. where they should be taking physical education and encouraged to continue taking it, so many of them are allowed to opt out and not, right. not, Absolutely. Per- not pursue it any further. Mm-hmm. Rob, as always, yeah. uh, we have solved absolutely nothing. Nothing. Uh, thank nothing. you for thank joining you, us sir. here at Mount Royal. Yeah, it was fun.